Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're going to pick up where we left off last week and just keep going from there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, I'm sure there's one somewhere around you. Uh, But Luke chapter 8, I'll just go ahead and start reading here. Um, In fact, last week we kind of, I think I sped through the last part. So for the sake of context, let's reread uh, verse 26 about the demon-possessed man uh, and how he was healed. So let's go back to chapter 8, verse 6 of the book of Luke. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him, uh, met Jesus, a certain man from the city who had uh, demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes. Nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And I beg you, do not torment me. So immediately, these demons, they understood that Jesus was the Son of the Most High, and uh, which is very interesting. And then they understood, you know, the torments that they would be facing. They knew their end time events, basically, right? And they, they weren't ready for it. They didn't want to go to hell. And so it says in verse 29, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, um, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. And so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. So uh, obviously this is Jewish land, but there's those that are... um, They don't follow the Jewish law. And then there's, you know, Gentiles living in the area as well. And in this specific area of the Gadareans, uh, there's a cliff. And so it says in verse 33, Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake uh, and drowned. So interesting. They didn't go into the the lake of fire. They, They went into the... Like a water. <laughs> it's interesting how this all kind of uh, shows up here. But they immediately killed these pigs, uh, these swine. And it says in verse 34, When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they also who had seen it told them by what means who, he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region, notice the entire multitude here from the, the surrounding region of the Gadareans, asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. So he listened to them. He didn't force his stay there. He didn't say, no, I'm God. I could do whatever I want. He was a gentleman in that sense, right? And he he listened. Verse 38, now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went out on his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And so immediately, this guy became an instant evangelist, right? Immediately proclaiming the name of Jesus, that he can heal, he could cast out the demons out of his, his life. He had a testimony And he immediately was unashamed, right, to proclaim what Christ had done because it was so big of a thing. It was, he was so grateful onto the Lord that this was, uh, you know, the Great Commission, if you will. It was nothing, 
for him. It was like, well, man, that's the least I can do. I want to do more. But God just said simply, return to your own house and, and tell what great things God has done for you. And so he obeyed the Lord. Uh, so um, Jesus, you, you know, we saw last week, he had power over the wind, over the waters. He has power over the spiritual ram, which we just saw right now. And today we're going to see that Jesus has power over the physical ram as well. Um, in fact, look at verse 40. It says, so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, they came a, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet, and he begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touch me, for I perceived power going out from me. And now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people and the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. And when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James and John and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her but he said, do not weep, for she is, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, little girl, arise. And then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So let's go back a little bit here. Um, a girl's restored uh, uh, to life and a woman's healed. And what they both had in common here is their faith in Jesus Christ. And let's look at the faith of Jairus in Jesus. Um, notice in verse 40, let's go back to verse 40 to 42, then we're going to jump from 40. Uh, 2 all the way to 49 to 56. But number one, notice the people who met Jesus. The people who met Jesus um, in verse 40. It says, so it was when J Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. So what a huge contrast that was from just a few verses ago. Did you guys catch that? What did the, the Gadareans do? The entire region, the surrounding area, right? They they uh, they asked him to leave, basically, right? They saw the swine jumping off the cliff. Uh, Legion was set free out of this guy's body, and and uh, you know, and and now they're begging Jesus to depart for him from them and and so Jesus did but they here they welcomed him waiting for him wanting him did you guys catch that it reminds me of two people today there's those who reject Jesus and there are those who receive Jesus and you're either you know for Jesus or you're not right there's no in between there's no you know I'm going to sit on the fence for you know a couple of years and and maybe at one point you know I'll I'll just keep coming to church and maybe I'll I'll, I'll finally live for the Lord uh but until then I I like everything I hear I'm just not ready yet right have you guys heard that 
I love giving the gospel to people, and I hear that often where they're like, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just not ready. Maybe, maybe next year, you know, maybe, maybe the year after, I don't know. Maybe if something drastic happens, I'm in the hospital bed, then I'll call out to God when I need him. That's the attitude, right? Um, but you, I encourage them, hey, buddy, I, I don't want to, you know, scare you or anything, but you're either in or you're not. Right? You're either for him or you're not. The Bible is very, very clear. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, it says, He who is not with me, Jesus says, is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So if you've been thinking of living for Jesus... Now's a good time. <laughs> Tomorrow's not promised. I think, I think you're either got to make that decision whether you're going to live for him or not live for him. Um, so the only way in to be with Christ, to be in Christ, is, well, what did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, right? Nobody comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. So he is He's your in, if, if you will. It's not about getting to heaven, by the way. There's people that become Christians because they just don't want to go to hell. That's not why you become a Christian. Those who are believers, it's about a relationship with Jesus, right? It's about, it's about finding uh, that, that uh, you were created to do this, by the way, right? So it's not like you, you sought out something and you found it. He found us, right? He, he sought out for us. We found him in the sense that, you know what, we're, we've been missing out on something in life, and we finally called out to him, and he answered us, right? He changed our life, and, and it's like a puzzle that's finally found its place, right? <laughs> it just fits perfectly when you come to the Lord. Uh, but secondly, notice here also the person who needed Jesus, and this is Jairus, right, in verses 41 to 42, um, and, and we can learn five things about Jairus. First thing involves his position. Notice in verse 41, it says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. Um, We'll stop right there. He was uh, in a position of power and a position of authority, and he was the ruler of the synagogue. Ruler could mean that, speaking of first rank or, you know, first in order, uh, in the other um, gospel account, it says that he was the chief of the synagogue. So he's the chief ruler of the synagogue, right? So he was the top of this religious order in the synagogue. So for him to come to Jesus, I mean, this is a huge deal. You guys remember what's happening at this time? The rulers of the synagogue, they would gather together. What were they doing? These religious leaders were plotting to kill Jesus. They're plotting to find some way to come against Jesus, and here's one of their own, right? He has a a, a personal need, and he brings it to Jesus, and he's going against his order here. So Jairus, he put his faith in Jesus uh, uh, really above his position, right? His position, he just threw it away. He said, you know what? I don't care who I am in this world. I'm coming to Jesus. And I love that about him. Um, secondly, notice Jairus's posture. Notice in verse 41 in the middle here, it says, and he fell down at Jesus's feet. So this is the posture of humility, Right? He set aside his pride, his um, power, his position. And in Matthew's account, it says that he worshiped Jesus. Uh, that points to his faith in Jesus. And we need to put our total faith in Jesus as well. Uh, one that is not ashamed, really, to fall at the feet of Jesus in the eye, in the public eye, I should say, right? In the, in the view of others around you. Um, and I think about that. When you come to faith in Christ, are you ashamed? You know, it's nothing to be ashamed about. I remember, and I think I told you guys this before, I remember in, uh, oh man, it was elementary school. It was just my, my tradition since I was a little kid that I would always pray like this. I put my hands together, and I still do that today. If you guys see me, I'm like, okay, time to pray. And that's just my, that's how I pray, right? Other people pray like this, their hands in their pocket or wherever they, you know, this is just my tradition. And, and, uh, and I close my eyes. That's just how I pray, unless I'm driving, right? <laughs> then, I'm, then I'm doing this. But, um, 
But I remember in elementary school, just, you know, it's time to eat food, you know, for lunchtime. And I, I always prayed for my food. And then I always say amen, and then everyone's looking at me, and I'm like, what? You guys don't pray? <laughs> I didn't realize that nobody else prayed either. So it was an eye-opener to me in, in uh, elementary. But, um, but it's interesting, you know, are, are we giving up our will for his will? And if that's the case... You know, do your coworkers see your faith? Are you unashamed at work? Are you unashamed in the public, right, to talk about Jesus? I was just at Woodman's this week. I talked to a couple of people that we saw. But immediately, what, what, what happens? You guys don't want to run into me at Woodman's, by the way, right? Um, I started talking about Jesus, right? And it's so cool. We're both all loud about it, and there's not a care in the world. But uh, I didn't even realize until I looked back at it, and I was like, wow, we were talking about, you know, what the Lord's doing in, in our life, and how cool is that? And those listening nearby, they're probably like, oh, I don't care what they think, right? We're here in this world for the Lord. We're not here in this world for them, but in the sense, we are, right? That's why we haven't, we've been given our breath this morning, because God has commissioned us to be faithful to his word, to obey him, to be alive, to do what he's called us to do. And so we're alive right now, not for our own sake, but for the world's sake. So in a sense, it, we are there for them. And so thus we should shine our light, right? And, and, and uh, be open about that. Um, the third thing here about Jairus is his persistence. Notice in verse 41, it says, and begged him to come to his house. And in Mark chapter 5, it says he begged Jesus earnestly. Now, begged, perikaleo, cool Greek word, by the way, if you want to learn that word, it speaks of a continual or repetitive action. So he was constantly, earnestly begging Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter. Now, in scripture, those who had faith, they didn't ask God, you know, just once, although some did, but they, not only once, but they, a lot of them asked Jesus uh, more than once when they were praying to the Lord. Uh, and Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, he says, concerning this thing, that's the thorn in the flesh that he, he received. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, God didn't heal him of his thorn in the flesh while he was alive, but he did, uh, I think he did that to Paul, really um, to remind him of his position of humility, right, in his walk with the Lord. I think the Lord put that there for a very reason, a specific reason that really only God knows, none of us know. Um, but I, I think of the same thing today. Why has God given us what we have? I mean, Lord, why me? I mean, why do I have to have allergies? I mean, come on, right? But some of you got some major things going on, and you're probably asking the Lord the same thing. Lord, how, why did I get chosen for this? Well, it's not only, maybe it's for you, and, and for your own learning's sake in some way, shape, or form, but most of the time, I think it's for others as well. Why, why do you have to go to the hospital? Um, Maybe it's because you're very open and you're going to share the gospel with the CNAs or the nurses or the doctors. You know, they're working on you. Like, so yeah, so Jesus, he uh, <laughs> put, a, put some tape on that guy, right? But maybe it's for their own sake, right? That, that they would get saved or that there would be a seed planted. And we don't always know the reason why God does things in our lives, but he does it no matter what. Now, did Paul lack faith? I mean, he prayed three times. Does that mean he lacked faith? No, not at all. Um, so did uh, Jesus, I think of Jesus, you guys remember there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to be betrayed, he's about to go to the cross. He knows what's happening. He knows what's happening this night. And he goes um, to the Garden in Matthew 26, verse 44, and, but he prays three times. Notice it says, so he left them. He went away again and prayed the third time. It's saying the same words. He repeated the same thing he was already saying three times. Why? I mean, if you have full of faith and you're, you're, you're a person, you're a believer of faith, um, shouldn't you just say it and thus believe it and let it go? No, I don't see that biblically. I'll, I do see that and I also see it 
praying repetitively and constantly as well, biblically. So obviously praying for something more than once, it's really not the absence of faith uh, in a person, but rather it shows that abundance of faith, that they love the Lord, that they know the Lord, and but they have so much faith that they're going to ask again. And not just again, they're going to ask again. Right? And, and uh, so it's bringing it to the Lord. The Bible says... And, and this reminds me, by the way, of um, uh, really our, uh, well, prayer in general. It, it reminds me of our dependence on the Lord. You know, when we pray and we ask the Lord for something, what does that reveal of your heart? It reveals that you are, Lord, I'm dependent on you. I'm not asking anybody else for help. I'm not going to go and do this, this, and that, and then say, Lord, use that. But I'm going to wait on you, and I'm going to say, Lord, you help me. I need your help. That shows you're dependent upon the Lord. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will, not, you will find, right? Knock, and it will be opened to you. So I thank the Lord for that. Um, let's go back here to Luke. The fourth thing about Jairus is, well, he had a problem. I think he had a huge problem. Look at verse 42. It says, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So immediately my brain went to just realizing there's something special between a father and and the daughter. There's just there's something there. I don't know what it is. The moment my daughter, uh, I you know just set eyes on her. She was just born. Immediately, I couldn't even see her because I was all blah. <laughs> I tried to hold her and I'm in tears and I'm like, oh. It's just something that the Lord does immediately. You know, in the Father, and I could imagine, uh, actually I can't even imagine it, but, you know, I mean, this is his only daughter, 12 years of age, and, and so he has a huge problem here because she's on her deathbed. And, but the thing is, he had huge faith, so much faith to give up his reputation, which is his life, his livelihood, if you think about it. And that's why uh, a problem that looked so big to handle really was nothing in the hands of Jesus, was it? Was, was Jesus like, oh, what happened? Oh, no. Oh, how am I going to do this? Oh, man. You know, no, he's God. In fact, he planned it. He knew exactly what was happening at this moment. And, and, and that's what brings me to the fifth thing about Jairus is his patience. Notice what happens next here. In verse 42, it says, but as he went... The multitudes, they thronged them. They were so close. Jairus, get the picture here. He's the ruler of the synagogue. And he's a powerful guy, which means he's probably a wealthy guy. He's a very influential guy because he's the ruler of the synagogue. And he tells Jesus to come heal his daughter, who's dying, right? And, and, uh, but notice, Jesus agrees, but there, there was so many people that he couldn't get to the house, right? He couldn't even move. And it says nothing here about Jairus pushing people or punching people or saying, I'm the ruler of synagogue, listen up. You know, he didn't use his position to get his way. And what does it say about Jairus after this? Well, it doesn't say anything. <laughs> but because he had faith in Jesus, uh, that he had, because he had faith in Jesus, he had patience uh, in Christ Jesus. So having faith in Jesus, you, you, you won't be mad, you won't be irritated at things that pop up in your life that you don't agree with. You won't be complaining and grumbling and, amen church, did I hit a nail there? <laughs> that's a lot of, not a, that's another church, right? It's not us, we're talking about other people. But, but understand, if you have faith in God, I mean, the little things aren't really going to matter, are they? People are going to come to you, and they're always going to do this, aren't they? They're always going to be like, you, blah, 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 and you said this. And you're, immediately in your brain, you're like, I never said that. But before you say, I didn't say that, you know that's going to start a riot, right? Blah, blah, blah. I didn't do it. Yeah, you did. Blah, blah, blah. Then it turns into a big old argument. But, you know, there's, there's those times where you just, you just look at them, and you're like, nah, 
I'm not gonna, not gonna fall for it. That's fine. You can think whatever you want. In fact, I'm worse than that. <laughs> Have at it, right? And, and uh, there's just something about that faith that it doesn't stir your heart the way it used to before you came to the Lord. You were like, Oh, how dare that person! Like, hey, I need to call so and so. Can you believe this girl? Oh, right. But now, as a believer, what are you doing? You're like, ah, I'll give it to the Lord. Lord, it's all in your hands. I leave that person up to you. Lord, I, I, I pray for that person's salvation. I pray that, you know, you bless that person because it sounds like they're going through all this. They're taking it out on me. And, and maybe, you know, Lord, they just need your hand. They need your, your touch. And maybe they just need you to, you know, really reveal yourself to them. So I pray for them, right? The Bible says it anyways, pray for your enemies, right? And that's what we're commanded to do as believers. So, Anyways, I, I see the patience here, and, and he had faith in God, and when you have faith in God, you understand Ephesians 1.11, that according to his purpose, right, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. If you're in Christ, he's got you. You know, he's not only made you, he's, he's got it all planned out for you. He knows the beginning from the end, and he's going to He's going to schedule you in the way he wants you to be scheduled in for your weekend, right? However it goes. It's, it's waiting on his timing rather than really waiting on your timing, right? Um, well, let's go back to Luke here. Let's come to the third thing here in this first section. We've seen the people who met Jesus. We've seen the person who needed Jesus. That's Jairus. And now let's look at the power of Jesus. Go skip down to verse 49. We'll go back right now. But verse 49, it says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the, uh, came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. And when he came to, into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Now, I think right here, now this is me putting too much into the text, but um, I don't know, I always wondered, Lord, why did you always have Peter, James, and John go to special occasions. I mean, why was it just them and the mother and the father uh, in this room? How come they had that special privilege, right? Um, Peter, James, and John, they, it just seems like they are always those special ones. There's the 12, but there's three out of the 12 that were able to see things. Um, you know, just like I mentioned there in the garden before Jesus' arrest, um, he takes Peter, James, and John closer with him to where he goes and prays on a rock. Now, Why? Well, they not only gave an account for the gospel sake, for our sake today, uh, but also on the Mount of Transfiguration. What, what would happen there in the garden, though? They messed up big time, right? What did they do? They fell asleep, right? They're sleeping while he's praying, and he's like, guys, seriously. <laughs> the Mount of Transfiguration, right? I mean, this is God Almighty. The clouds open up. You know, you got a conversation going, and it's so wonderful. And what do they say? Let's build an altar to all three of them. <laughs> and like, what's equaling them with God? No, come on, right? And Jesus is like, oh, right? Um, but here, I don't see the, uh, I don't see the, oh, come on, Peter, why did you have to say something here? I don't see any of that, which is pretty cool. Um, but um, I wonder why, uh, imagine, if Jesus didn't bring them in. You know, just think about it. I mean, Peter, I'm not going to leave you alone, buddy. You're, you're the one, you guys remember, he's the one who wanted to slice off the head of the servant, Malchus, right? And said he hit the ear instead, right? But he was going for the head. I mean, this guy's not a good swords guy. He's a fisherman. Um, but he chopped his ear off. James and John, what about these guys? If they're left alone, they get angry. They wanted to call down fire from heaven and just entirely just blow up an entire village, basically, right? That's James and John, the brothers of thunder, basically, and uh, which is crazy that they wanted to consume them with fire. So I don't know. I have no clue. That's just my thoughts on the guys. I don't know why they, they're, they're very, maybe we'll know in heaven, right? Maybe there's some significance. There's the 12, there's the three, and, and in heaven will, will, will be revealed more so to us, but I don't know. 
Um, now let's keep reading. It says, now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, little girl, arise. And then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Wow, so the power of Jesus Christ astonished these parents, right? Remember, Jesus didn't want to reveal himself until basically Palm Sunday, right? That was the day Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem. That was the day he allowed worship, basically, right? He allowed, that was his day. That was, hey, okay, now let's be open about everything. And, and uh, so interesting. But notice the two types of people here. In verse 53, the people that did, didn't have faith, what did they do? They laughed and they ridiculed Jesus. They didn't believe the dead could come back to life, right? And Jairus, in verse 50, here's the other type of person who, who was told to believe and she will be made well. And she was, right? Which shows he had faith and he believed. Jairus obeyed Jesus, and Jesus brought her back to life, which is really neat. Um, but let's look at the faith of the woman in Jesus. No, notice and go back to verse 43. Let's see how this woman came to Jesus. It says in verse 43, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, which is interesting. Did you guys catch that? 12 years that's how old Jairus' daughter was, 12 years old, interesting, um, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could, could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. So she came to Jesus with this flow of blood. Uh, for 12 years, she's had this flow of blood, um, and Jairus' daughter uh, I think of her and I think of this woman, um, and they both, for 12 years, you know, this woman had a problem, 12 years, this, this daughter's been alive, but they both were chosen at this day, this was their appointment, one to die and rise, one to be healed, right, from her infirmity. But it's interesting that Jairus, if you do a comparison thought here, um, He's the ruler of the synagogue. I mean, this guy can enter into the synagogue whenever he wants to. He can go into the markets. He can shake people's hands. But this girl, she couldn't, according to Leviticus chapter 15, uh, she couldn't even hug anybody. She couldn't touch anybody. She couldn't even be around people because she was considered unclean because of this flow of blood that she had. Jairus was wealthy. She was poor. She gave all that she had to the physicians, to the doctors, uh, to heal her, and they couldn't do it, right? Why couldn't they do it? Because it was God's will that she not be healed the first year that she had this, the second year, the third year, the fourth year, the fifth year, all the way up to 12 years, she was meant to be healed at the end of the 12 years. So uh, very interesting, which it shows basically to me that God, he doesn't show partiality, right? He knows exactly what he's doing. He's not going to just heal the rich. He's not just going to heal the poor. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter what reputation you have. He's, gonna, he's, he's God, and there is no partiality with him. And the one thing that we as believers have in common is our faith in Jesus Christ, which is pretty neat. Now, notice, secondly, she, she touches Jesus. Notice in verse 44, it says, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. So she went against the law by doing this. Did you guys catch that? She went against the law. Remember in Leviticus chapter 15, you can read it on your own, verses uh, 25 to 29, but uh, God is saying, well, Moses, God uses Moses, Moses writes this down, uh, but he makes it very, very clear that if you have a flow of blood, for longer than the period that you're supposed to be having it, um, you will be considered unclean. And she was in an open place. She already broke the law, right? She's around a lot of people, even worse. And the thing that she did is she came and she touched Jesus. 
Hebrews says that Jesus is our high priest. I mean, she came and touched the high priest of all things. She touched God. I mean, this is God writing, don't even touch a person, you know, in the world. And she comes to the main person that you shouldn't be touching, right? It's like, wait, what are you doing? Um, but she didn't allow her physical condition from keeping her uh, from Jesus. She spent every cent on getting help. She tried everything she could. And the thing that she did is she came to Jesus. That was the right thing that she did. And never think that you guys are so unclean or unforgivable that Jesus can't accept you, that Jesus wouldn't allow you back because he will, right? Um, we don't clean up our act and then we come to Jesus. That's the thought of a lot of people. They're like, oh, I'm so ashamed. I'm so, you know, because that's what the enemy does, doesn't he? He wants you to fall short of the glory of God, which you will. And, and when you do, if you're not quick to repent and turn to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and, and return to the Lord, what happens? The, the enemy comes in and devours you, man. He'll beat you up. He'll, he'll mess around with your brain where you're, you're just falling apart and you're like, oh, me, myself, and I. And you, th- you know, you fall into this whole despair and this like, oh, right? And the guilt and the shame and the misery. And that's where the enemy wants you. He doesn't want you to be alive, full of joy, right? And, and uh, all about Jesus and being open about your faith in the Lord. He's going to press on you and push you and, and keep keep you to a place where you're quiet, right? If he can keep you there, he's got you, right? But the thing is, God hasn't called you to that. And a lot of people think, um, man, if I'm, if I'm caught up in all that stuff, I, I really got to get myself out of it because I got myself in it, right? That's the thought. But biblically, that's the dumbest thing to do. <laughs> the best thing to do is don't clean up your act because you can't, right? There's never been a person that just said, okay, Lord, let me clean. All right, I think I'm all clean. All right, I'm going to come to Jesus now. And now's my time, right? I, look at me. I'm all washed up and I, I, I dealt with my sin and it's gone, right? No, that never happened. So uh, what has happened is Jesus cleans up our act. And that's what many of us have done, right? We knew that we were rotten sinners and we brought our sin, our shame, our guilt, and all of below to Jesus. And he took it. Uh, in Isaiah 118, God says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Pretty sure a lot of you guys tried singing a song right there. Did you guys think, am I the only one? There's a bunch of worship songs that went through my head as I was reading that. But only Jesus could forgive you and me, right? And he, he's the only one who could do, do this. He's the only one who can cleanse us of our righteousness when we confessed our sins to him. First John 1 John 1.9, uh, Romans 10.9 says the same thing. Uh, but let's come to the third thing here. She, she not only came to Jesus touched him but notice the question by Jesus notice in verse 45 it says and Jesus said to her or he said who touched me and when all denied it which is interesting because we just learned right now at the end of the same verse that all were you know next to him touching him and then they're like oh I didn't touch you right it's like what's going on here but they all denied it Peter and those with him said master wait a minute the multitude's strong and press you and you say who touched me but Jesus said somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me and Jesus perceived power going out of him and and it was her faith but this was mentioned so that she could be noted you know, to the disciples so they can see her, write about her, and so that we would know about it today, right? It was, uh, it was for us. But if you're, if you're sick and you have faith, it may be God's will for you that you are not healed. It may be God's will for you that you are healed. I don't know. One day, I know for sure that one day we will all be healed, right, of this body, of this infirmities, the things that we go through are the guilt, the shame, the death, the... Uh, the miseries of this world, it's all going to be done away with. We're going to take on a glorious body. One day in the, in the middle of 
Maybe right now, right? <laughs> Boom, we're going to be caught up in the clouds at a moment that we don't even, we, I think we expect it. We know, we don't know when, though. That's the thing. But we have a heart of expectation saying, Lord, we yearn for your coming, right? Because we're going to take on that glorified body and we're going to be done away with the things that bring us down, that burden us here. Um, so which is going to be interesting. But Notice, fourthly, her confession to Jesus. Notice in verse 47, Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the, the people uh, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. In Mark's account, Mark 5.33, uh, Mark says, But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Right? She didn't hold anything back. She told him the whole truth of what happened. That's why we know it, it was 12 years. Right, because at that moment she said, "For twelve years, you know, this has been happening. I've, you know, I've given all my money over to the physicians. They couldn't heal me. Uh, so, but her faith was open uh, in front of the public. Did you guys catch that? She was healed, but in front of the public, she said, you know what? I'm healed. I don't care, right? And there's something about faith in Christ Jesus that does that. It's something about it. Just it's no longer about us, right? I remember." Uh, the Lord calling me at a young age to, to teach, right? I just knew that I knew that that's what the Lord wanted me to do. And, and but the thing is, I was the most uh, shyest guy in the world. You, guys, you can ask anybody that knows me when I was a kid growing up, um, my face gets crazy red, right? You can walk up to me and ask me a question. I'd be like, Ooh, right? And so for me to, for the Lord to say, you're going to be up in front of a, you know, and telling, talking to a lot of people. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's not me, Lord. Nope, that's not going to happen. And what's happening, right? Um, but it's, it's amazing how the Lord can do that. But there's something about that faith that I had to realize is, Lord, if this is your calling, then what am I yelling and crying about on the inside? On the inside, I'm saying, oh, people are looking at me. Oh, you know, me, myself, and I. And that's where the trembling happened, right? But I had to come to the point of realizing, you know what, Lord, if it's for you, I'm all in. Let's do this. I'm going to get up, and you better, you got to use me, though, right? <laughs> this, this is your gift, and I need it, Lord. If, if I don't have it, then what am I doing? So, Anyways, uh, she didn't hold back anything. But let's come to the fifth thing here. Let, notice the statement by Jesus in verse 48. It says, And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, let's look at verse 1. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Um, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. And whatever house you enter, stay there from there and from there depart. And wherever and whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And so they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, the disciples of the Lord are spoken here in verses 1 through 11, or I'm sorry, verses 1 through 6, and there's a few things that we can learn about these 12 disciples right here. Number one, notice, go back to verse 1, the calling of the 12. Then he called his 12 disciples together and he gave them, but notice he called them, right? The 12 disciples. Disciple simply means, it's used 269 times in the New Testament. It simply means a learner, a student. And you and me are students, right? Where we never come to that moment of, wow, I finally arrived at teacher status. Wow, look at that. Call me rabbi, right? No, we'll never come to that moment. For all of eternity, we're always going to be students of God's word, right? We're going to hear him and be astonished. We're going to be just, right? And it's going to be so great. So 
These 12 men would spend three and a half years just learning at Jesus' feet and, and, uh, and just constantly learning. Um, secondly, Jesus also gives them power and authority over two things. Notice power, that dunamis power, right? It means abundance of power to perform miracles. It's, it's a, a dynamite power, right? It's explosive power. Uh, and that word authority... It, it, it means, it's, while it's used 103 times in the New Testament, and it, it carries the idea of having the right to use something or the privilege or having the permission to use, to use what? This power. God gave them the authority to go ahead and use the power that he gave them. They had the right, the permission to exercise this power, which tells me uh, not everybody has the right or is allowed to use this power. There's other people that try to tap into this power and they can't, get, they can't do it. They can't conjure it up. They can't you know, give a certain amount of money for it. They've tried, but they can't get it. Why? Because God hasn't allowed them. Only those in his spirit are allowed to have this power that he gives. Uh, so it's from on high. But what do they have this power and authority to do? It's over all demons, right? And this speaks of the spiritual realm. Uh, there's a spiritual realm all around us, whether you know it, like it or not. It, there is, right? And it's obvious. The Bible says in Ephesians six twelve, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So as believers... We are over the fallen angels, which is interesting because we, we, well, why do we, we put on the whole armor of God? That's the next verse. We put on the Lord Jesus, right? We have him. We've been equipped by the Lord. And there's two things that I've noticed that come against these fallen angels uh, in the believer's life. It's prayer and fasting, it's knowing the word of God. It's knowing Jesus, obviously. But prayer and fasting have been uh, the biggest weapons I've seen against the enemy. I've seen people try to use weapons like verbally, right? Where they're like, you demon, I'm, if I see you, I'm going to punch you in the face. And I'm going to, guys, seriously, you're going to make the demon mad? Like, oh no, let's stay away from him, right? <laughs> He's going to punch us, right? Why do people say that? Don't talk to demons, by the way. Don't do that. Don't Just talk to God. If you're going to pray, pray only to the Lord. When you pray, don't say, and devil, right? Don't even, why, why? Don't waste your words. Pray to the Lord and, and don't pray and talk to the, he doesn't care. He's not going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, oh, you're praying, you're telling me? Okay, I'll, I'll listen to you. No, 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 no. You talk to the Lord, even Michael the archangel and Jude, he said, may the Lord rebuke you, right? So I think we ought to take on the mentality of the Bible instead of what we've been taught and what we've been trained. Because the people that I've been around, that's what I would be doing if I followed those above me that I learned from. I'm going to be talking stuff to the devil. And then I read the Bible and I'm like, wait a minute, it doesn't say to do that. Um, so it's kind of, uh, I'm in trouble there. But anyways, notice they not only have power, authority over the demons, but what is the second thing that they have power and authority over? To what? To cure diseases. In Matthew 10, 1, it says all kinds of sicknesses, all kinds of diseases. And I love how God is still in the business of healing today. We can be used by God uh, in the gift of healing, which is great. I would love that. Now, God doesn't always heal when we ask. Sometimes it's, you know, for our own good. Sometimes it's for the good of others. I have no clue how and why God does what he does in, in the sake of sickness and disease, but it's just an area where you got to give it to the Lord. It's his will, right? Whatever it is, Lord, whatever you want to do, here I am. I think that's that's the heart, right, the, that can get changed. This is the attitude. And the Lord's looking at our attitude during this time. Um, but last, let's look at Jesus. He sends out these 12, right? Notice in verse 2 again, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And notice the progression in verse 1 and 2. First, Jesus called them. Second, Jesus empowers them. And third, Jesus now sends them. And I remember the Lord specifically, and I'll keep it short, but I remember the Lord specifically calling me to a specific uh, area in California. It was a Bible college. The next morning, literally within a couple of hours, 
uh, a lady from the church came up to me and said, what do you think about, and the Lord just spoke to me on this word, it was Marietta, and, and she said, what do you think of Marietta? And I was like, oh, and I jumped up. I was like, oh, I was so excited. I was like, what does that mean? I was like, the Lord just spoke to me on that. What do, I, I, got, I, I meant to look it up today, but I, I don't know. What does it mean? She's at the city in California. Now, and immediately I was like, I'm there. And she said, there's a Bible college there. And the Lord put it on our hearts to send you there. And I was like, what? Right after church, I got in my car and I took off. I went straight to California and I called them, and it just so happened, right? I didn't even know. Where, I just knew where I was going. I didn't know what was happening, but it just so happened to be the week of registration for the first semester of college. And I was like, "What are the chances of that, right?" And I get there, and then I call. I was like, "Oh, I forgot to ask you about the payment." And they're they're like, "Where are you?" And I was like, "In California." They're like, "You are. We're supposed to pray over you in front of the church, and we're supposed to, you know, give you the money and everything." And I was like, "Well, hey, I know my calling. I'm there, right? I'm, what am I waiting for?" So um, it was just—it's really cool, but. Um, I, I love it how the Lord um, does certain things. You know, if you know your calling, he's, you know, go for it. But sometimes God calls you, and, and it's not for the time that he wants you to be in it right then and there. Sometimes he's called you to something, but he doesn't want you to be there for another year or two, um, and, or three or whatever, right? Until maybe he wants to mature you. Maybe he wants to grow you. Maybe he wants you to learn of him a little more. Whatever it may be, I don't know. But notice he sent them out uh, in, the, in the parallel account. He sent them out two by two, and I think there's something good with that, is that there is not only encouragement from the other person you're with, but also there's accountability. And I think that's a wonderful thing to have in ministry. Um, but now let, let's see the, the instructions for, this, for the 12 here. Notice in verse 3, the first thing involves trusting the Lord totally. Notice in verse 3 it says, And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Why? Because God wanted them to trust him for everything, right? Jesus didn't tell them the right people for support, right? He didn't say all these things that we do today in the church. And, and that always brings me back to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, right? What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. I love that. Um, everything you need, God will provide, right? Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So they were to trust in the Lord. They weren't to get an extra clothing, right? They weren't to pack a bag full of bread and pack their tents or anything like that. They were to just go out by faith and trust in the Lord. Secondly, they, they were instructed uh, to basically being content practically. Notice in verse 4, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. So if you go to a house and, and then somebody else comes up to you and says, oh, but my house has a hot tub, and I got another horse that you can ride on, right? Don't be like, oh, you know, I got to pack up my stuff and go. I'm sorry. Thank you for having me here, though. I'm, their house is better. And Jesus says, don't do that. You stay where you are. You be content practically where you're, where, who you're with, right? Be okay with where you're at and who, with who you, you're with, right? Wow, I think... Um, it's a good place to kind of slow down right there. I think that, if anything, the church needs contentment. Amen? I haven't said amen the whole time. This is great. Amen. But this contentment, it, it's interesting because you can actually learn contentment. It's something that you can actually allow yourself to learn. Uh, Paul said in Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So, the third instruction involves knowing when you're done personally. In verse 5, and, and whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. You know, I've learned that not everybody wants to hear me when I give the gospel, right? There's those that are like, get out of my face, I'm going to beat you up. And it's like, okay, I'm going to the next person. <laughs> I'm not going to keep on insisting with that person. There's a time to move on. And, and something I'm still learning to do is be like, oh, hold on one second. 
you know, and start dusting you off your feet because it's biblical, right? That's what the Bible said. I never done that before. I need to do that. Um, anyways, um, just joking, guys. You guys could do that if you want, but that'd be funny to be driving on the road and seeing your feet shaking like that. And I'd be like, hey, they were giving the gospel. Look at them. Um, but let's end with this. Notice the obedience of the 12 in verse 6. It says, so they departed and they went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So they had a choice to obey God or not. And you and I also have the same opportunity to obey the Lord or not obey the Lord, right? We're called to go preach the gospel and to train up the disciples, right? Train up disciples on your own. Give them, teach them, train them, raise them up. That's an area that I, I, I wasn't taught as a kid. I remember giving the gospel all the time, but I, that's it. I would say, all right, pray with me. They pray, they're broken and in tears. And then I'd say, okay, goodbye, I did my job. See you later. But I, I didn't realize the rest of Matthew 28 that said uh, disciple, right? So keep in contact with those who come to the Lord and make sure that they're getting trained in the word of God. One thing that I do now is I, re- I direct them to uh, the, the Calvary Chapel app that we have. They can download it right there. They can get trained in the word just by listening to it at home. And it's, it's pretty cool how that happens. But, um, you know, life's all about Jesus anyways, right? The whole book's about Jesus. It's all about obeying him and living for him anyways. Um, in fact, um, I'm just going to read verse 7 and 8. Because we still have five minutes, guys. This is great. I told the children's ministry we're only going to go 45 minutes, so I'm sorry. But notice, look look at Herod. Look at verse 7. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him and was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And so he sought to see him, Jesus. So it amazes me that people didn't believe in who Jesus Christ said he was. They believed that he was Elijah, that he was uh, uh, John the Baptist, that he was some, one of the Old Testament prophets. But you guys remember Herod killed John the Baptist, right? And because he was, what did John the Baptist do? Herod was an adulterous relationship with really his niece. You guys can look it up. It's pretty disgusting with Herodias. And, uh, but John spoke up for righteousness sake. And what did that do? That left him dead, right? It, it took his life because he took a stand for righteousness, and I love it because he didn't fear man. He feared God, and he was able to stand for righteousness. And I think that John the Baptist was blessed because of what he did. So very interesting. Um, let's stand and let's pray. Um, there's so much, so much here. Um, surprised that we made it that far. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Um, that is just so true. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, continue to reveal yourself, continue to magnify your word above all else throughout our day, Lord, throughout uh, all the relationships that we have with people here on earth, Lord, and everything that we're doing um, here on earth, the the busyness of life. Help us to, to be more in love with you than anything and everyone else, Lord. Help us, Lord, to um, put you in the place a prominence, Lord, to put you as number one above all. And uh, we thank you, Lord, because you're worthy. We thank you and we praise you because, well, you're God. <laughs> there's, you're mighty, Lord. There's no one like you. You're wonderful. And uh, we love you, Father. We thank you for the work that you not only did with uh, healing this woman uh, and also raising uh, J. Iris's daughter, um, but Lord, you've, you've, called the 12 out, and you called us as the church to go out and to proclaim the gospel. And I pray, uh, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts, Lord, to keep our eyes focused on you and uh, to obey your word, but also stepping out in faith, Lord, to be ready and willing. Um, but we, we know it's by your grace, Lord, and so I just thank you. I pray you would be with all of us tonight. Grant us the, the, the safety, Lord, going back home and getting the rest that we need. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. 
Herod said, John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And so he sought to see him, Jesus. So it amazes me that people didn't believe in who Jesus Christ said he was. They believed that he was Elijah, that he was uh, uh, John the Baptist, that he was some, one of the Old Testament prophets. But you guys remember Herod killed John the Baptist, right? And because he was, what did John the Baptist do? Herod was an adulterous relationship with really his niece. You guys can look it up. It's pretty disgusting with her Herodias. And, uh, but John spoke up for righteousness sake. And what did that do? That left him dead, right? It, it took his life because he took a stand for righteousness. And I love it because he didn't fear man. He feared God. And he was able to stand for righteousness. And I think that John the Baptist was blessed because of what he did. So, very interesting. Um, let's stand and let's pray. Um, there's so much, so much here. Um, surprised that we made it that far. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Um, that is just so true. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, continue to reveal yourself, continue to magnify your word above all else throughout our day, Lord, throughout uh, all the relationships that we have with people here on earth, Lord, and everything that we're doing um, here on earth, the, the busyness of life. Help us to, to be more in love with you than anything and everyone else, Lord. Help us, Lord, to um, put you in the place a prominence, Lord, to put you as number one above all. And uh, we thank you, Lord, because you're worthy. We thank you and we praise you because, well, you're God. <laughs> there's, you're mighty, Lord. There's no one like you. You're wonderful. And uh, we love you, Father. We thank you for the work that you not only did with uh, healing this woman uh, and also raising uh, J. Iris's daughter, um, but Lord, you've, you've, called the 12 out, and you called us as the church to go out and to proclaim the gospel. And I pray, uh, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts, Lord, to keep our eyes focused on you and uh, to obey your word, but also stepping out in faith, Lord, to be ready and willing. Um, but we, we know it's by your grace, Lord, and so I just thank you. I pray you would be with all of us tonight. Grant us the, the, the safety, Lord, going back home and getting the rest that we need. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.